For our text tonight, we'll look into the book of Colossians, chapter 1. Colossians chapter 1, looking at verses 10 through 14. That ye might walk worthy of the Lord unto all pleasing, being fruitful in every good work, and increasing in the knowledge of God, strengthened with all might according to his glorious power unto all patience and long suffering with joyfulness, giving thanks unto the Father which had, hath made us meet to be partakers of the inheritance of the saints in light, who hath delivered us from the power of darkness and hath translated us into the kingdom of his dear Son, in whom we have redemption through his blood, even the forgiveness of sins. We know of at least three times that Paul was arrested and placed in prison. The first instance that we're aware of is in Acts chapter 16. In that particular passage of scripture, we find that Paul goes to a place called Macedonia, and in, to get specific, it was in Philippi in Macedonia. And there's a woman there that the Bible says was possessed with a spirit of divination. And in that particular account, we find that Paul faces that lady and tells her in the name of Jesus Christ for that spirit to come out from her. And the Bible in that account tells us that very hour that that which Paul had said what happened because it was in the name of Jesus, it happened. Well, this riles up the people very much. They weren't happy because this particular woman had made them a fair amount of money, the Bible says. And so the people were riled up and they end up beating Paul and Silas, who's with Paul at that time, and they throw them in jail. The second time we find recorded later in Acts chapter 21, at this time, Paul is led by the Lord to go to Jerusalem. He knows that the Lord would have him to go there. And it's even prophesied that he's going to be arrested when he goes there. So he knew what was coming. And Paul even says, For I am ready not to be bound only, but also to die at Jerusalem for the name of the Lord Jesus. He doubled down. I know what I'm going to face. I'm not only ready to be bound, but I'm able to, and ready to give my life for the Lord Jesus. And at Jerusalem, Paul, he first, he visits James, one of the uh, leaders of the early church, along, of course, with Peter. But at this time, he visits James, and he's at the temple. And the Bible talks about a group of visitors that recognize and they see Paul. And here it happens again. They rile up the people. They get them all excited. They say that he's teaching against the law, teaching against the temple. This was a big deal to them. So ultimately, Paul is beaten, and he is bound, the Bible says, with two chains, and he's put in prison. In fact, why he's in prison, they even conspire to figure a way to assassinate him. And finally, Paul's third arrest, it comes from what we can tell at the end of his life, where Paul, he's writing his final letter to the young minister, Timothy, where he says, I have fought a good fight, I have finished my course, and I have kept the faith. So we know that Paul, he was, he was active in ministry, we think, for about 35 years, and for at least five of those 35 years, he was either in house arrest or he was in a jail cell or he was being escorted 
by Roman soldiers from Jerusalem to Rome. And it's likely during um, his first missionary journey when he is in this Roman jail that he wrote what we know to be as the prison epistles, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, our text. And he also writes a letter to Philemon, which was really a letter to a dear friend of his. Now, we know that Colossae was a little church. Paul had a co-worker. Well, he had many co-workers in the gospel. But one named Epaphras, he was really very dear to Paul. When, in fact, when writing to Philemon, he says, this is Paul, Epaphras was his fellow prisoner in Christ Jesus. And Paul knew what it was to be in prison for sure. Well, Colossae was part of uh, three cities. It was a, a, a tri-city region, and it formed a triangle. And if I understand right, it was the Lycus River Valley, and it was an important trade route. But in this tri-city area, there was Laodicea, who's mentioned four times in this book, and we're familiar with Laodicea from the book of Revelation. And then there was another city called Hierapolis, 13 miles from Laodicea. And, and really, this, this letter is sort of a grouping to all of those churches or the people of all of those places. In fact, in Colossians 4.13, he says, For I bear him record, speaking of Epaphras, that he hath a great zeal for you and them that are in Laodicea and them in Heropolis, excuse me, Heropolis. So we know that uh, really this particular letter to the Colossians, in fact, we find even later where uh, he's told to read this letter to the people at Laodicea as well. But when we read through Colossians, we find they were, uh, they were up against many contemporary challenges. It was the culture of the day. It was what the, the culture around the churches that was being infiltrated into the churches. Society was into spiritualism. A trend today uh, into uh, looking at and studying the cosmos of the universe. Modern philosophy was having an impact on the church. They were uh, superstitions that were affecting the church. And just like then, in their day, we don't want to have what is trending in the world to infiltrate us in the church. The thought process of today, the trending ideas of the day, the current issues of the day, the current politics of the day, the trending hashtags of the day, we don't want it to change or have an effect on what we know to be true in God's word, what we know to have been true since the beginning of time at creation. In verse 10 of our text it really sounds like he, he's writing to Christians. He says, or he gives them three instructions in verse 10. He says that ye may walk worthy of the Lord unto all pleasing. We could say that's his first instruction. Number two, being fruitful in every good work. And number three, and increasing in the knowledge of God. That ye might walk worthy. And, and that particular phrase, if, if you look it up, he wrote to the Ephesians saying, I therefore the prisoner, there he is again, the prisoner, of the Lord beseech you that ye walk worthy of the vocation wherewith ye are called. That gets down to how we live, your job, the vocation to, wherewith ye are called. And to Thessalonica he says that ye would walk worthy, the same phrase, of God who hath called you into his kingdom and glory. We want to live in a manner that represents Jesus Christ, a manner that is worthy to the life that Christ lived and died for us. 
This is our vocation. We could say our livelihood or our way of life, our way of eternal life. We want to live in a way that represents Jesus as he would have us to live. Secondly, he says being fruitful. This again is in verse 10. Or we could say or fruit bearing in every good work. That means we want to have hearts that possess good ground. Things that we learned in Sunday school. We want to have a heart that is fruitful, that is pliable, that is not like Hosea said that needed to be tilled up. We want it to be uh, fruitful and pliable, good ground, so that we might glorify God. Because that's what he says. In every good work, we want to glorify God in our music. We want to glorify God in where we go. We want to glorify God in what we listen to. We want to glorify God in our school, in our education. We want to glorify God in our sports. We want to glorify God in whatever we do. We want to glorify God. He says in every good work. And thirdly, he says an increasing in the knowledge of God. So part of our study and part of our exhortation by the Lord, part of what the Lord wants us to do is increase in our learning and knowledge of him. We want to grow in grace and in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And that's what he's telling Christians here to increase in the knowledge of God. You know, it's very important that we do our devotions and spend our time uh, drinking the word of God, we might say, or feasting on the word of God might be a better way to put it. But we also want to spend time in study of God's word. There, there can be a difference there. When we, we have a thought or, or a, a character in the scripture or a chapter in the scripture or a book in the scripture, we want to put our time in to increase in the knowledge of God. And we can do that by just doing our devotions, by spending time in prayer, by coming to church, coming to Sunday school. But the Lord puts it on us, I believe, in this letter by Paul to the Colossians that we, be, we would increase in the knowledge of God. It's vital. That should be our life study as Christians. In verse 11, he says, strengthened with all might according to his glorious power unto all patience and long suffering with joyfulness. It's exciting stuff. Giving thanks unto the Father which hath made us meet to be partakers of the inheritance of the saints in light. The saints in light, he says. And we know this is a, a common occurrence throughout the Bible where light is attributed to the gospel of Jesus Christ. Jesus says, I am come a light into the world that whosoever believeth on me should not abide in darkness. There's a clear distinction. And Jesus is the one that brought that light. Ephesians 5, 8, 5, 8, For ye were sometimes in darkness, ye were sometimes darkness rather, but now are ye light in the Lord, walk as children of light. So if we have the light of Jesus in our life, then there's a way in which we must walk and live. 1 Thessalonians 5.5, 5, ye are all the children of the light and the children of the day. We are not of the night nor of darkness. And again to the church at Ephesus, wherefore he saith, awake thou that sleepeth and arise from the dead and Christ shall give thee light. Now, the true meaning of, of darkness is the total absence of light. What did God do at the beginning? There was darkness upon the face of the deep. God intervened. He created light. God is light. God represents that which is light. If we want to know what light is, we look to the Lord because he defines true light. In fact, Job, uh, uh, speaking of the darkness of death, said, in Job 12, 12, 22, that he discovereth deep things out of darkness and bringeth out to light, speaking of the Lord. 
in what he does. That's deep stuff, but it gives us insight to how God brings light out of darkness. We go through dark times in our lives, but God offers light. We do go through times of despair, times where we stumble, times of confusion. And the Lord offers light at the end of the tunnel. Jesus really does offer light. That feeling that we go through that nobody else understands or or nobody else we might feel like is experiencing, the Lord Jesus offered light. He created light. He defines light. Jesus is light. And in verse 13, he says, Who hath delivered us from the power of darkness and hath translated us into the kingdom of his dear son. And that's really what's been going through my mind over and over again lately. He has translated us into the kingdom of his dear son. And we know he's getting at salvation uh, from what we heard this morning from Brother Daryl, that we go from spiritual darkness unto spiritual light at salvation. But I like that word translated. It sounds like something supernatural, something that's forceful, like a dramatic experience. And it, of course, took me back to uh, the night that I prayed to get saved. And I had that same desire where I'm not going to get up from this altar until I've experienced that change. And as Brother Darrell preached this morning and, and encouraged us to recall, or we were encouraged to recall back to that time. I thought to that time where, as on my knees, I, there was nothing left that I could do. I was broken. I, I had repented. I, I had nothing left. And there was a moment in time where there was a, a, a deep, settled peace that came into my heart. I was translated, as the scripture says here, into the kingdom of his dear son. And this word translated means to carry away or be removed. I was removed. We are removed from a life of sin to a life of joy and happiness and no more condemnation. We are translated from darkness to light. We are translated from spiritual death into the kingdom of God now on earth here today. And we have a hope of a more complete and final translation one day, we find in the Scripture. If you look at a a few uh, select experiences in the Scripture who had this type of translation, I'm talking like a physical translation. There is a spiritual translation which we have. But we're looking forward to a day where there will be a complete and total translation. The Bible says that Enoch walked with God and he was not for God took him. That phrase, took him, actually means to seize. The Lord vehemently took him. God translated Enoch, we could say, immediately and forcefully up into heaven. You want to talk about another forceful translation, we can talk about the prophet Elijah. In 2 Kings chapter 2, verse 11, it says, Behold, there appeared a chariot of fire and horses of fire, and parted them both asunder, and Elijah went up by a whirlwind into heaven. So we have horses, we have fire, we have this whirlwind to remove or carry Elijah quickly and forcefully to seize him up into heaven. That's exciting stuff. In Acts chapter 8, verse 39 We read, and when they were come up out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord caught away Philip. That the eunuch saw him no more. That word caught away, harpazo in the Greek, 
is where we learn of the rapture. It means to seize, to pluck, to pull, or even to take by force. And I want to tell you that we are surely very, very close to that day. A day which we will experience the ultimate translation. Or the harpazo of our bodies up to heaven. We will be seized. We will be pulled up by the Lord into heaven. There's a coronation planned in heaven, the scripture talks about, where the Lord Jesus will be crowned King of kings, Lord of lords, up in heaven. But a snatching away, a a, a caught away of the saints of God must happen first, and we want to be there. We will be seized. We will be snatched away. We will be taken by force. We will be translated up into the literal kingdom of Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. Paul says to the church at Corinth that it will be in a moment in the twinkling of an eye at the last trump. We're knocking on the door of that translation. Look around. It must be close. Prophet Ezekiel tells us of specific alliances that he refers to in the latter years. In Ezekiel 38. And if you look at those alliances, it would be Russia, Iran, and Turkey. And we're there right now. The alliances are in place. We see a forceful desire with the instruments. If you look at the Temple Institute, where the sacrifices are prepared, the instruments are prepared for the third temple to be rebuilt. They are knocking on the door. They're ready to go. They just need a covenant. And overnight it can happen. They will have that covenant. We're right there. We're knocking on that door. Jesus said, speaking of numerous prophecies, we know in Matthew 24 regarding the final days, and then shall many be offended. Interesting. That means trip up, stumble, or entice to sin. A little bit different than what you would think if you were to look at the English, but if you look at the original. And shall betray one another and shall hate one another. This is evidence of the soon return of Christ, he's saying. And many false prophets shall rise and shall deceive many. And because iniquity shall abound, he says, the love of many, these are the words of Jesus, shall wax cold. Have you seen the hate, the anger, and the rage over the possibility of Roe versus Wade being overturned? Sounds like Matthew chapter 24. No doubt we're knocking on the door of our final translation. And we want to make it. And there's hope that we can make it. The door of salvation is still open. The plan of salvation avails. You can pass from Death to eternal life spiritually here tonight if you haven't yet. You want to have this transaction. You want to have this supernatural transaction in your heart. And we believe the Lord is calling. Are you ready for the soon snatching away of the bride of Christ? We look around. We look at the scripture. We look at the word of God. We look at the world. And we feel like we're knocking on the door. But there's hope. Thanks be to God. There is hope. Every one of us can make it. We know exactly what we need to do to make it. Maybe you're in a a time of decision right now and the Lord's speaking to your heart. We really want to encourage you to ask the Lord into your heart. Maybe you're listening in or you're watching and maybe you've been raised in this church. I was. 
I heard the gospel message hundreds, if not thousands of times. But I thought it was going to work out a certain way where I was going to get saved and then I could tell those that I wasn't saved and it didn't work that way. God wanted me to be honest. He wanted me to step out in faith ahead of time. So maybe you're living that life and you need to be honest with someone. You need to tell someone, please pray with me, I'm not saved. That can be the difference to taking a step out and being saved for time and for eternity. That you would be translated, your body would be changed in a moment, in a twinkling of an eye at the last trump. We want you to be partakers of the divine nature. We want to be changed because we will be like him for we shall see him as he is. Maybe... You've grown cold in your walk with the Lord, and you do need to do the first works over. We would encourage you to do that tonight. Ask somebody to pray with you. We would love to pray with you. The door of salvation is open. The song is 602. Let's come out and pray.